I want you to go with me tonight in the scripture. Back to the book of Colossians where we began last month. Colossians chapter 1, and if you will, you can also find Proverbs chapter 1. In Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it. Now to find out what it is, you'd have to back up a few verses, but word got back to Paul and company that this church, these people were walking in love with each other. He, he heard two things about him, and it was something that evidently caught his attention in a number of the churches that he ministered in and communicated with. He talked to them about their love for each other and their faith in Jesus. And he said it to him over and over again. We heard about your love for each other and your faith in Jesus. And this is the word that had gotten back around to him. And as simple as that sounds, people walking in love with each other, people growing in faith with Jesus, it so touched his heart that in response to that, every time this church included, it brought him to his knees in prayer. And that's why he said in verse 9, this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's prayers here in the book of Colossians. There's prayers in the book of Ephesians. And I recommend you take time to set your eyes on these prayers and, and pray them for yourself. They're in the book for a reason. I mean, do you believe that every word of this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit? That God is big enough to watch over the, the writing of this and the culminating of this and to ensure that not one thing got in here that misrepresented him or steered somebody in a direction that wasn't him. Well, if these prayers are in here, then they're in here because this is what the Holy Spirit wanted prayed. Now, when you pray what the Holy Spirit wants prayed, then the Holy Spirit gets to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do because you prayed what he wanted prayed. This is why we got to be led even in our praying, most especially in our praying. So if this is a spirit-led prayer, then it's easy to draw the connection here and connect these dots. If he's praying that they'd be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, then you can very easily deduce this is what God wants to do. He wants you and me filled with the knowledge of his will. And sometimes these promises, especially ones that we've looked at over and over, we start to minimize the bigness of them. And without even realizing that we're doing it, we sort of rationalize it down to a place where our, maybe our brains can wrap around it a little bit. But stop and think about it and don't try to don't try to grasp it mentally. Do what he said here. Be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Big difference. Big difference between spiritual understanding and understanding something naturally. It takes spiritual understanding to even conceptualize the fact that I can be filled with the knowledge of the will of Almighty God. I can be filled with the knowledge of what He wants done in me. I can be filled with the knowledge of what he wants done through me. I can even be filled with the knowledge of what he wants done and accomplished in and through his kingdom in the world. I can be filled with that. Now, if I'm filled with something, how much room is there in me for anything else? None. Now, if I got a little bit of the knowledge of the will of God and a lot of the knowledge of my own will, the knowledge of somebody else's will, the knowledge of the will of the people around me, the will of culture, then there's going to be a tug of war and there will be confusion. When there are multiple options, too many options, it's confusion. But this is why it's such a good thing to pray and believe that you can have this. I am filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that do? It eliminates confusion. 
And you can act with confidence. You can step by faith with certainty, knowing that where you're going is good. So this is what we're praying. We pray this again constantly over the partners of this ministry. We're praying it over you, praying it over our own lives. There are a number of things I find that are coming out every night when we put these little ones that the Lord's given us to sleep at night. And I hear myself praying some of these same things night after night after night. It's not out of habit. It's not out of tradition. It's because it's coming up out of the heart. And it's what, what, what the Lord wants to do. And I'm praying it over them even at eight and five years old. Fill them with the knowledge of your will. I mean, better eight than 48, 58, 98. You know what I mean? Let's get it filled, pump filled with it now and eliminate the confusion that so many people live with as young people, teenagers, through the first part of their lives, filled with the knowledge of his will. You can be. Somebody say, I can be. Grab a hold of this promise, but look at what's connected to it. Not just that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, but connected to that is in all wisdom. It takes the wisdom of God to walk out what God wants done. And uh, where we began looking last week in the book of Proverbs, excuse me, last month in the book of Proverbs, I think without realizing it, we really began a study specifically on the wisdom of God. So go back there with me. Proverbs chapter 1. We got quite a bit of response last month, I would say more than usual, from people that were here and a part of that service. If you remember, Sarah and I spent some time talking together to you. And I, I know we drove away that night, and I do this sometimes, get in bed, just wrestling with it a little bit. Oh, Lord, is that what you wanted done? Did I, it could have been said better. It could have been communicated better. I'm not sure that was right. And uh, it never fails. The ones that are not my favorite are the times when people just come knocking on the door and the phone's ringing. Thank God, that was what I needed to hear. And you're like, good, okay, I'm so glad. Uh, but that's just because he's good. And he can take this, whatever this is, and, you know, just carve it and shape it and make it exactly what you need. And in Proverbs chapter 1, talking about the wisdom of God, look at verse 20. In Proverbs 1.20, it says, Wisdom cries aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. In verse 22, she says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? I want to look at this in just a moment in the Amplified Bible, the classic edition. But listen again. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn, verse 23 says, at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. I want you to see again in verse 20. Guys, put that Amplified translation up there, if you will. Because I want you to notice again, I know we talked a lot about this, but where wisdom is speaking. If being filled with the knowledge of the will of God then requires the wisdom of God to walk that out, you need to know where wisdom is, how to get a hold of it. So let's find out from Scripture where wisdom's located. Wisdom, it says in the Amplified Bible, cries aloud, where? In the street. She raises her voice, where? In the markets. Keep going. She cries at the head of noisy intersections in the chief gathering places. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now think back through every one of those locations where wisdom is found and then ask yourself this, why? Why is the wisdom that spoke the universe into existence? Why is it out in the street? Why is it... Uh, in the markets? Why is wisdom out there in the intersections? Because there's certainly nothing sacred, certainly nothing holy about any of those places. And yet the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of God himself is found in all those places speaking. Why? Because that's where we are. That's where we're living every single day. 
And though the place itself isn't anything remarkable, it's because you're there. And it's because that's where wisdom is most needed. And every time you get in your car and you hit the street and you're on your way to work, you're on your way to school, you're on your way to a meeting, wherever you are going, whatever's on your mind, whatever's in front of you to do, there's wisdom. And there's wisdom speaking, talking the whole time. You can't shut wisdom up and you don't want to. Wisdom's just speaking and speaking and speaking the whole time. That says to me, I can get in the car with wisdom. And that's needed, I've found. Not only is wisdom out there in the street for, for you on your way to work, wisdom for you on your way to school, wisdom for you on your way to the meeting, wisdom's in the markets. We talked about this. And whatever market it is, wisdom is there and speaking. I like this one, though. Wisdom is at the head. She cries out at the head of the noisy intersections. Now, if you remember, this is what we really spent our time with. And I want to keep going with this. Wisdom's at the head of the noisy intersection. You can hold your place there in Proverbs 1 and turn over a few pages to uh, chapter 8. And you see the same concept repeated in verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. The New Living Translation says at the crossroads. At the crossroads. And, and really, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're in a series of messages right now we're calling Crossroads. And uh, some weeks ago, I recorded a number of broadcasts, uh, not with anybody else in the room, but just us talking to the folks at home or wherever people are watching. We called it Crossroads because without a word of wisdom, without a word of knowledge, I can look at any number of you in here, I can look at any number of people watching online tonight or watching on television later and say, you're at a crossroads. <gasps> How do you know? Because <laughs> I, I'm not trying to impress you with that. It's just true because we're there. We all are. I'm telling you every single day of your life, you are at some crossroads of one kind or another. It's where two paths meet it's an intersection, and in an intersection is where a choice must be made. Now, there are intersections that we arrive at every single day, and maybe those choices seem small, and perhaps they, they truly are. But these kind of intersections that we're reading about in here, the noisy intersections, I want you to imagine that. Let the Word paint a picture in your heart of a major intersection. You know, real estate that's expensive because that's where everybody is. That's where the noise is. That's where the crowds are. That's where these two main roads meet and come together. And if you're not at an intersection like that tonight, hang on, because soon you will be. We all come to them. We all come to places where the paths meet, the roads cross, and it's a place where a decision must be made. Naturally speaking, if you're just driving a car, you come to these all the time. And depending on where you're going, you make the choice at the intersection. Do I continue straight? Do I go right, left, east, west, turn around? Choices have to be made right there. And whether you realize it or not, spiritually and in your walk with the Lord, you and I arrive at these kind of intersections all throughout our lives. And I am so thankful. I am so grateful that that's where wisdom is, yes. right? Yes. That that's where wisdom's hanging out. Yes. Because when I get there, I'm not on my own to figure it out. Now, there are, when, when you are driving a car, and you got to think back, and we've, we're so inundated and so used to our technology, you've got to think back to a time when you didn't just follow the purple line. You know what I mean? You, you had to look at a map or know where you were going before you left. Or I guess in more recent times, you, you printed out instructions from MapQuest or something like that. And some people are like, map what now? And uh, it, we, we were laughing about it. Sarah and I were laughing about it the other day. This week, we we're having lunch with, lunch with some friends and they have small kids. And we we're thinking there are things that are already foreign to our children that we grew up with or they were in our lives not very long ago. I mean, Jesse, she's five now, but not, but a couple of years ago, uh, we were on vacation in another place together and rented a house and there was a TV in the living room. And she asked 
to watch something, one of her cartoons, one of her shows. And I said, baby, I don't know if it's on. She's like, what do you mean if it's on? (laughs) See, they're so used to just watching what they want when they want. I literally tried to explain cable (laughs) to my then, you know, three, four-year-old. I was like, well, see, if it's not on, it's not on. And I don't, what are you saying? And then once I did have the TV on, this is not what she wanted. So she walked up to it and starts trying to swipe it. Have you seen this? I'm like, baby, it's not going to do anything. She's like, everything else I touch moves and does what I tell it to. This technology that we've become so used to, and we're so used to, you know, just getting in the car and punching in an address and whether you know where you're going or not, as long as Siri does, you're good, right? But there was a time when obviously, you know, you didn't have that. I was thinking uh, just earlier this week, uh, this past summer, we took the kids on a road trip uh, up to Colorado and we stayed the night in Amarillo, Texas. And between here and Amarillo, there's nothing, man. I mean, it is, it's ugly and it's boring. No offense to anybody who lives there or loves it, but there's just not a lot to look at. But once you pass Amarillo, man, it changes in a hurry. The scenery changes in a big way. And uh, so we got up that next morning and it was daylight and bright and everything. We headed out of town. Well, on the way home, we decided we're going to stop at the same hotel, spend the night there. But we are not like hardcore road trip people. We're, we're way more comfortable in an airplane. And I just, our timing was off. We left town a few hours late. We just sort of took our time without thinking about it. And it wasn't going to put us into Amarillo till like two o'clock in the morning. And we're on that long, lonely stretch from the southern part of Colorado until you get into Amarillo. And there's nothing out there, but those roads are dark and they are twisty and they are turny and they are curvy. And I was, I remember driving that that night, so thankful that somebody else knew the way, you know what I mean? Because I thought, you know, if, if for whatever reason I lost that or I didn't have somebody telling me where to go, I would be so lost and how comforting this is. How comforting. And if you think back before you had any of this out there on a dark road at night, not sure if you're in the right place, how comforting is something as simple as a sign? Yeah, a sign that says this is where you are and where you're headed just that way. And we get so comforted by the sign. And it sort of just takes away that anxious feeling. Oh God, are we lost? Are we going to... Nobody knows where we are. We're going to die out here. Oh, no, it's going to be fine. There's a sign. (laughs) And what you experience when you see that sign or something that you recognize or something that points you in the direction, that's a feeling called trust. You're not yet where you're going, but at least now you know you're headed in the right direction. Now, in all these parallels that we're drawing between spiritual intersections and natural intersections and making the right turn and so on. This one doesn't parallel so well because people take that same dependence on a road sign and tell God, give me a sign. I want a sign. He fills them with the knowledge of his will. They've been asking for it. They've been praying for it. God, I just want to know, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do I spend my life? And they get this word from God and they say, wow, give me a sign. (laughs) Give me a sign. Hold your place in Proverbs. I believe we're going to come back to it. But look at this in the book of Ephesians. Listen to what it says in chapter 1. Just begin down around verse 11. It says, In him also we have obtained inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So again, we're still talking about his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted. Everybody say trusted. Who'd you trust in? What does it say? We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In whom you also trusted after you saw a sign. Is that what it says? 
Sorry, that was supposed to be like a little joke. My Bible does not say that. You act, most of you are acting like, yes, that's good, amen. That should not be what your Bible says, does it? Let's try it again. In him you also trusted after you saw a sign. <laughs> no, oh, no, it doesn't say that. It works every time Brother Keith does it, but when I try it. In him you also trusted after what? You heard the word. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, our trust as believers is not to come after we've seen a sign, but after we've heard a word. That's when our trust kicks in. Now, don't misunderstand me. God's not opposed to showing you a sign. Actually, Jesus said there would be signs. He said there would be signs, but remember what he said? Mark 16, I think it was. They would be signs that did what? Confirmed the word. So the word, or excuse me, the sign is not necessarily the thing or the first thing, at least, that you trust to point you in the right direction. It's the word. And I want to go back now. Sorry, I know you're bouncing around a lot. You can handle it. Proverbs chapter 1 again. Bearing all this in mind, listen again to what he says. We know where wisdom's crying out. We know who wisdom is talking to, verse 22, the simple ones. Now, verse 23, listen to what wisdom says. And this shouldn't surprise you knowing where wisdom is. What's the first word of verse 23? What does wisdom say? Turn. Turn. Where do you turn? In the intersection. That's what you do there. Turn, wisdom says, at my rebuke. Let's talk a little bit about this word and this whole concept of turning. There are many people, sadly, I would probably say most people, who have completely missed the turn. And what's really sad is there are many believers, many Christians, who at some point in life missed the turn. And you've missed a turn before. I've missed a turn, naturally speaking, driving. There are a number of reasons somebody would miss a turn. And I did. I talked some about this on some previous broadcasts, but the Lord just said, do it again, do it again. And I want to bring this up again and find out what is it that's causing people to miss the turn. And when we talk about this, you got to understand why. It's because of how critically important it is to be on the right road, to be on the right path. You could go through any number of scriptures and say, here in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. That's in more than one place in the book of Proverbs. The book of Psalms talks to us about the path of life. So you've got the path of death, you've got the path of life. At that intersection, how many of you know it's important to make the right turn? If one path is death and the other is life, you want to be on the right one. Well, um, Psalm 65, 11, the psalmist said, your paths drip with abundance. So there's a prosperous path. There's a path to prosperity. There is a path that prosperity is on. And if there's a prosperous path, you better believe that there's also a path that's full of poverty and lack and shortage. And at that intersection, you want to hear wisdom going, turn, 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 turn. You want to turn. It's so important that you and I are found at all times on the right path, going the right way. And what's so important and what will ensure that we're on the right road is heeding the voice of wisdom when wisdom's going, turn here, turn here, turn here. And yet people are ending up miles down the road, if you will, in life. And at some point years later, they look up and go, was I supposed to turn somewhere? Where am I? Did I miss a turn somewhere? And there's a number of reasons. I don't know them all. Uh, 
I've got a list of a few of them. I'll start on them some tonight. I don't think we could get to all of it. But the Word of God helped you identify why somebody would miss their turn and how to keep from it. Anybody interested in this? You want to know? You want to know how to be on the path of life and not death? The path of abundance and not lack? Absolutely. One of the big reasons I believe people miss their turn spiritually you see it right here before you even get to the end of the first line. Wisdom says in verse 23, turn at my rebuke. Now we talked last month about the word of the Lord that came to us at the beginning of this year and said course correction. And I, I'm beginning to see some of the things that he was talking to us about. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I realize this is the scripture that backs that up. A course correction is one that you make while in progress. So in other words, you've already started. And starting's a good thing. To arrive at your destination or your destiny, starting is important. It's critical. It's critical to the process that you start. Now, I'll quote Brother Keith who says, if you don't start where you are, you'll stay where you are. So starting is very important. But just as important as it is to start, it's also important to be open to corrections along the way. Yeah. I was thinking about it tonight. You know, our house is not that far from here. And I, and I looked it up. And if I were to draw a line on the compass, almost like you were going to fly to my house from here. Am I? Somebody help me. I'm, I'm facing north right now, right? Okay. So our house is somewhere around zero to five, something like that. Zero to somewhere in there. So if you're flying, you're going north and just a little east, right? But I don't fly home from here. I get in the car and I drive. Now, there are many people who will tell you the quickest way between two points is what? Straight line. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to get home quick. So I'm going to go in a straight line from here to my house. Not only will I not get there quickly, I won't get there at all. I've got to be willing to make some turns. And there will probably be a time or two in the process that I go a direction that could be opposite of where I'm trying to eventually go. But if just out of my dogged determination and stubbornness and hard-headedness and hard-heartedness, if that's a word, I just decide, well, my house is that way and I'm going that way. Folks, I'm not making it out of the driveway. How many turns do you suppose there are between here and there? I mean, I'm 15 minutes from here. Turn after turn after turn after turn. All of these things are course corrections. They're corrections that you make along the way. And one of the reasons people miss the turn is because they don't like to be told. They don't like to be told where to go. They don't like to be told, make a change. But one of the things, if you really want the wisdom of God, and man, I do. If you, if you recognize the need for it, if you desire it, and, and really this is one of the big keys to having it, yeah. is just wanting it. Yeah. It's a huge key to it. How do I get the wisdom of God? Want it. Desire it. And one of the reasons that gives God access to fill you with his wisdom is because it's humility. Yeah. It's humility to say, I need that wisdom because I don't already have it. That's humility. And God honors humility. One of the big reasons people miss a turn, you want to know why? You can't correct them. They're unwilling to make a change. Wisdom, if you really want it, then you better be willing and ready to hear some correction. You know, if all you or I ever hear, quote unquote, from God is what we expect to or want to, then you really have to ask yourself, am I really hearing from God? If all God ever, quote unquote, tells you is that you're doing everything exactly right and you're going exactly the right way and nothing's wrong and nothing needs to be changed, you really need 
to evaluate whether or not you're hearing from God or just more from yourself. Because there will be correction involved. There just will be. Some of these things I'm talking to you about, course correction for our own life and our ministry that came at the first of this year. I believe in the weeks to come, I can, I'll be at more liberty to tell you about it. But some of it had to do with some things I spent a good long time saying to people. And when I say that, I mean being on television and saying to people, God said this and this is what we're going to do. And God said it like that. Da, 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 da. And then I get this course correction and it's not exactly what I thought. Well, what's, what's happening? Jeremy's at an intersection. And wisdom is going, turn, turn, turn. And now I've got a choice to make. That way is not this way. And I thought you said go this way. And wisdom's going, turn, turn, turn. Now the Lord's helped me with it. He really has. He's shown me some things about it. Like I said, we'll get into more of it, I think, in weeks to come. But there's got to be a willingness to hear that. In the book of Hebrews, keep your place here. We're going to look some more at turning. But in Hebrews, turn with me. Hey-o. Look at uh, chapter 12. Why do people miss their turn? They don't like being told how to drive. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. That says, My son, do not despise the chastening that could be the correcting, the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Why? For the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects. And scourges, well, that sounds like fun, <clears throat> every son whom he receives. Yes. Don't despise, he said, the correction. And don't be discouraged when you're rebuked. Why? Because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And again, he says here, <clears throat> he's talking to sons. So there is a element of our father's son. And when I say son, there's male sons, female sons, with our father-son relationship, just as there has to be correction from me to my son, there's got to be correction from our father to us, his children. If there's no correction between us, then two bad things are happening. One, we are missing out on a huge part of him as our father. There's a huge part of our relationship missing that we're not accessing if we're not open to correction. But what's worse than that? It's connected to it, but I think it's worse. There's a huge part of his love you're not receiving. Without being open to correction, there's this whole facet of the greatness of his love that you're not walking in. And you can only walk in with an openness to some correction. Even if it has to come in a rebuke. Or what was the other word? What was the one that sounded like so much fun? Scourging. Now the scripture tells us this is not fun. This is not enjoyable. We know that. But you can come to the place where you love it. I know that sounds strange to you, but you can come to the place where you Love it. And I remember as a young, young man, maybe late teens, early 20s, I remember saying to the Lord, I am so hungry to hear your voice, even if it comes in the form of correction. I just want to hear it. I just want to hear it. And guess what that gives him? Access. And whom he loves, he corrects. Don't miss your turn just because you don't want somebody else to tell you how to drive. And there are levels of this. There are levels of correction. There's instruction. They could come 
conversationally that can come in a message like this. And you got to be open to this correction. And you got to laugh sometimes when people say, well, I get my correction from God. And they're, what they're really saying is, who do you think you are? <laughs> right? And uh, that, that's just convenient, I think, isn't it? That, you know, just, I get it from God and nobody else. Well, part of getting it from God is listening to the people he's put in your life. I forgot where I was going with that. But um, part of the reason people are missing it, instruction. It, it, it comes like this, instruction from his word, instruction from his spirit. There's the next level of this that you could call correction, and it's perhaps more direct. There's maybe a more of a sense of urgency about it. But then there's a rebuke. Think about it like this. Think about it like wisdom's in the car with you, like we already talked about it. And wisdom says, <clears throat> now in about three or four miles, there's going to be a right-hand turn. So I want you to be watching for it. Now you're getting closer to it, and you're about a, I don't know, quarter mile away, and you're still flying at 75 miles an hour. And wisdom says, there is a turn coming up and you need to take it. That's correction. You're going too fast. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's another reason people miss their turn. But now you're flying down the road and this turn's getting closer and wisdom says to you, slow down. What is that? That's correction. You're going too fast. There's a turn coming. But when you get to that turn and it's right there and wisdom says, turn now, that's a rebuke. And if the road in front of you is a cliff, you want a rebuke, right? I mean, if there is certain death right in front of you, you don't get offended. You raised your voice at me. You spoke to me. In an, in an unpleasant tone. Well, the only reason the Lord had to do that is because you weren't listening to instruction. You refused correction. And now the rebuke came. But however the correction comes in any degree, can you be open to it? Hmm? Would you be so hungry to hear the voice of God that you're willing to hear it even if it's a course correction. I am. And I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of facetious way at all. I'm telling you with all sincerity, I want it. I receive it. No, it's not fun. At times it's embarrassing, but I would way rather my flesh be embarrassed than dead. Right? Thank you, Lord. So be open to this correction. Why? Because he loves me. And if we're, not, if we're not receiving this correction, then there is a part of his love that we're missing out on. Somebody say, he loves me. Yes. He loves me. He loves me. Look at what happens when you receive or you turn when wisdom says turn. Turn at my rebuke, again, verse 23. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. The spirit of wisdom being poured out on you. And you knowing the word of God is the direct result of you turning at wisdom's rebuke. You want that? You want it as much as I do? This, the spirit of wisdom poured out on you? And don't forget when we're talking about this, we are talking about the very thing, one of the very things that marked the ministry of Jesus from the time he was a young boy. Really, all we know about his life from 12 to 30 is that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. You know what I think that says a lot about? You grow in stature, that, that's your height, that's your physical body growing. And if, if all things are well, then that's going to happen. Growing in favor with God and men, that's the grace of God on your life. That word favor is literally translated grace in that same chapter in another place. But to grow in wisdom, you know what I think that speaks well of? Joseph and Mary. You don't grow in wisdom on your own. There had to be some instruction, right? There had to be some steering. And the scripture says that right there in that place in Luke 2, that after they came and found him, after three days, 
Oops, you lost God. You better go, go find him. They found him and they brought him home. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says he was subject to them in all things. Jesus was an obedient child. So I, I don't know if I would go out on a limb and say they had to correct him or not. But I will say he followed instruction. And this so marked his life that he grew and he grew and he grew in the wisdom of God that when he stood up as an adult and preached the word to people, the, the very thing they stepped back and said is, what is this wisdom? Where does he get this wisdom? Even his critics, says, where, they, they would say, where does he get this wisdom? That same wisdom is still in the words of Jesus. And the same wisdom is available to us. But we need to be watchful over what it is that causes us to miss the turn when wisdom's crying out. Are you getting anything out of this? Is this helping? Why else does somebody miss a turn? One, they don't receive correction. They won't receive it. And what that's really an indicator of is pride. Sorry, I don't guess we're done with this one yet. That's an indicator of pride. That's an indicator that I know the GPS is saying, turn right. I think there's a better way. Oh, now, now I'm hitting home, aren't I, fellas? I think there's a better way. I know it's sending me this way, but I think there's a better way. If I just, if I'll just go straight here, and if I, no, I, I know a better way. What do you do? You turn it off, right? Because if you leave it on, it's going to keep trying to bring you back to that other way. Yeah. So you turn that off. Why? Because you know a better way. But that's pride. And pride will not follow instructions. Pride will not heed correction. And way back in the day, when you didn't have any of this technology to tell you where to go, and guys, all you had was your wife in the front seat asking you, are we lost? Do you know where we are? And you just keep going and going and going. No, I know right where we are. I know right where we are. You know what pride won't do? Pride won't stop. Pride will just keep going and just keep going and just keep going. When the very thing that you need to do to stop the madness and get yourself out of this lost mess that you're in is stop. And she says it. It's no wonder that wisdom's voice is always a her throughout scripture. And she's, she says, she says, dude, should we stop? Points at a gas station. We could stop there. We could stop here. Should we stop? No, no, no. I know where we're going. I know where we're going. I know where I am. Because pride won't stop. Because if you stop, then what are you going to have to do? Ask. And pride won't ask. Why? Because pride already knows. See, this takes us right back to what we started with a moment ago. The reason God loves to fill his people with humility or with wisdom is because it requires humility to ask for it. That's how you get it. That's the key to getting wisdom. That's what James said. Anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask. Asking is humbling. It's humility. It's humility to say, I don't have what I need but you do, and I want it. That's humility, and he honors that. He loves that. He can work with that. Humility gives him access, but pride won't stop. Pride won't ask, because if pride stops and if pride asks for directions, now what's pride going to have to do? Go with somebody else's instructions, and pride won't do it. But this is how you get the help of the Holy Spirit. You stop and you ask and you follow. And that's what humility does every time. I humble myself. I'm lost. I am not on the road I need to be on. I'm not on the road I set out to be on. This path is not dripping with abundance. <laughs> this is not the path of life. This path is not getting brighter and brighter to the perfect day. If anything is getting darker and darker, stop. Stop. And uh, it can be especially hard if you've got people following you. A family, children, a spouse. 
staff, a ministry, congregation, partners, if you've got people following you, it can be especially hard to stop and turn around to them and say, guys, I don't know where we are. But how much respect would it garner from the people, if they've got a heart for God, to hear you say, I don't know, but he does. Let's stop. Let's stop and ask for directions here. Let's stop and find out. One, are we in the right place? Two, if not, how do we get to the right place? Let's ask. That's humility. Pride won't do it, but humility is quick to do it. Quick to stop, quick to ask, and quick to follow. This is how you get the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is, um, I think this is practical for us. This is something we can put in practice. I mean, like tonight, tomorrow, you know what I mean? You can recognize whether or not you're on the right path. And if you're not, get on the right one. Why do people miss their turn? Thank you, Lord. Pray with me for just a minute. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Father, we ask you where you would direct, where you would correct, where you'd instruct us to go next in our lives as a family. We're asking for your wisdom, Lord. You said we could have it. You said you'd give it to us liberally, generously, without reproach. If we just ask and ask in faith. Why don't you say it out loud right now? Father, in Jesus' name. I stop and I ask you, sir, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Make it clear to me. Make it plain to me. Am I on the right path? Am I going the right way? Give me your direction. Show me your instruction. And by your grace, by your help, I will follow. In Jesus' name. See, what we're doing right now is a good illustration of something. And you see it in the ministry of Jesus in more than one occasion, more than one place. It's slowing down. I mentioned to you this a moment ago, but this is a big reason. People miss the turn. Just moving too fast. Just moving too fast. I know I've done it, naturally speaking. Just flown right past it. But if you get to moving too fast on the inside, it can be difficult to hear and to heed the voice of wisdom going, turn, 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 turn. You've got to slow this pace on the inside. And learn to recognize if there is a panicked or a frantic pace going on the inside, you've got to learn to shut that down and not be drug around and pushed and driven by anything or anyone. No matter how seemingly important it is, the illustration that comes to mind is in the book of John when Jesus got word that Lazarus, whom he loved, the scripture says, was sick. And what you and I do typically when we find out somebody we love is in a bad way or they're sick, man, it's jump and run time, isn't it? I mean, if somebody close to you, and you, especially if you've got the power to do something about it, and oftentimes, even if you don't have the power to do anything, you just feel like, I just got to be there. And you go and you leave whatever it was you were doing, you leave whoever it was you were with, and you jump and you run. But you know what Jesus did when he heard Lazarus was sick? Nothing. You want to know for how long he did nothing? Two days. He sat still. Even to the point where his disciples were going, what are we doing? And he sat still. Well, you know this, Jesus doesn't do anything that he doesn't see his father do. He doesn't say anything that he doesn't hear his father say. So what's he doing? Waiting. And I believe it's as simple as this. Sickness doesn't tell Jesus where to go. Jesus tells sickness where to go. But Jesus does not live and operate on sickness schedule. 
And that very well may have just been a discipline of the flesh to sit still. And if you've got children, you know that is often how you discipline the flesh. Sit still. Can you do it? Can you sit still for just a moment? And spiritually speaking, and on the inside, can you be still long enough to hear? And you know how that whole thing turned out. Jesus' patience where he was and not jumping and running to Lazarus' side resulted in the greatest miracle of his ministry outside of his own resurrection. Patience. Why do people miss the turn? Moving too quick. You say the wrong thing when you speak out of pressure. You do the wrong thing when you act out of pressure. If we had time, we'd go through verse after verse after verse in the book of Proverbs that all talk about the, the resulting um, destruction that happens when you move too hasty, too hastily. Poverty is the result of being too hasty. Destruction and loss are the result of being too hasty. Moving too quick. I'm thinking about another time that Jesus was in a group of people and teaching and the religious leaders interrupted the whole thing and brought a woman they said they had caught in the act of adultery and they threw her down and they said, Moses in his law commands us to stone such a one. What do you say? And the Bible says they, they asked him and they asked him and they asked him this. They said, pressuring him and pressing him and testing him. So it wasn't like they just said it once. They stood there pressing, pressing. Come on, what do you say? What do you say? We want an answer. We want an answer now. This is pressure. And it's that pressure on people that gets them in a panicked and frantic pace. And they go, uh, 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 well, well, what I would do, see, see what I would, what I would do here is see, and we just have this temptation to try to fill every moment because we're not comfortable with the awkward silence. There is a temptation and a pull on the flesh to fill every moment with something. But you know what Jesus did? He just kneeled down in the ground and started writing. And the scripture, this is one of my favorite places in scripture. It says he did this as though he did not hear them. Did you know you could do that? <laughs> Jesus gave you liberty to treat some folks like you didn't even hear them. When the pressure's on, what's he down there doing? Waiting, waiting. Because this is a critical moment, not just for this woman, but for him and his whole ministry. It looks like there's just two choices, stone her or don't stone her. What are you going to do? Well, if he goes with stone her, then everybody out there who's there receiving from his great mercy and compassion is now confused because now he's no different than these hard-hearted religious guys. But if he says, don't stone her, they came to him with the law in his face and he didn't come to break that law. He came to fulfill it. So if he says, don't stone her, now all of a sudden he's broken a law and this whole thing's off. Can you see the pressure? That's what pressure does. It comes and gives you two bad choices. So what's he doing? Waiting, waiting. Can't miss this turn. It's too critical. What's he waiting on? Wisdom. It requires the wisdom of God to answer these people. He's waiting on a word and he's waiting on the wisdom. And I don't know how long it was. Scripture doesn't tell us. But however long later it was, he got it. He got the word he was waiting on. He got the wisdom that he was waiting on. And he stood up and he said, option C. He who is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. Did we break any laws that day? No. Did this woman get put to death? No. Glad we didn't miss that turn. And we have it written and recorded for all of history and all of eternity. The great compassion of our Lord. And it came as the result of not moving too quick. Waiting on a word slowing down, stopping if need be. Can you see it? Sarah, how many times have we had to do this? 
get excited about something. And we were teasing each other just this week, just stuff going on around here in our lives and we're pressing and we're moving and we're thanking God for the future and we're getting light and it's all happening. And it seems like it's happening quickly. And there is a fine line between excited and obsessed. Can I say that again? There is a fine line between excited about the future and obsessed with it, where it's nonstop on your mind and you can't be in each other's presence without talking about that thing or you can't go to bed without laying awake there thinking about that. And there are times when you got to say, as good as it is, slow down, slow down. And then I'll say this to you, we'll be done. Learn the difference between something that's moving quickly and something that's rushed. Because there, if, there is a difference. Fast can be okay. Rushed is not. I saw this more clearly in my life than I'd ever seen it before. And it was when I met Sarah. And most of you know the story, but before we ever met, the Lord had pointed her out to me uh, in a photograph that my cousin had on her desk. And I said, who's that girl? And I spent the next several months trying to find out about that girl. Never spoke to her, never had a conversation, never communicated. But just a few months after seeing that picture, I was in prayer one day and the Lord starts talking to me about her and says, that's the girl you're gonna marry. You're gonna meet her in March. You're gonna marry her in September. You're going to Africa together. And that was like December 31st, January 1st. So we're talking about three months from that day meeting somebody and being married three months after that. That's quick, right? But it happened just that way. And there would be a lot of people that might look at that story and say, well, that's too quick. That's too quick. That's too quick. And it could have been if it weren't for the buckets of peace we had. There was not a rushed moment in that whole thing. We met Wednesday night, March 7th. 2007, Branson, Missouri. We did our best to be either in each other's presence or on the phone with each other nearly every waking moment for the next several months. Three months later, I asked her to marry me. Three months after that, we were married. The wedding was beautiful. Mary, my mother-in-law is here tonight. Perry, she put on a beautiful wedding, got the whole thing together. It didn't lack for anything. We had a gorgeous tent outside and with this beautiful dinner and everything was wonderful. But I mean, back me up here. Was the whole thing peaceful or was the whole thing peaceful? It was fast, but it was not rushed. See, rushed has to do with the condition your soul is in. Panicked has to do with what's going on inside. And the whole time there was just so much peace. There was, here's a big indicator that you're on the right road. No strife. There was no strife. And how many wedding stories? I mean, when the people had a year to plan, (laughs) there's so much strife. Why do you think they can call some people bridezilla? Because there's so (laughs) much strife and confusion and panic and frustration and pressure involved in it. And here, this whole thing happened from meeting to marriage in six months without an ounce of strife or pressure, just peace. So learn to recognize it. Is strife present? Stop. Stop. Let's slow down. Is confusion on the scene? Stop. Slow down. Slow down. Amen? I don't want to miss a turn. Not because of some foolish thing I'm doing, moving too fast. I don't want to miss a turn because of some you know, pride and arrogance that I don't tell me how to drive. I've been driving for all these years. This has been my life for 40 years. I can handle it. I don't want to miss a turn for something stupid like that. Not if making that turn means prosperity. Not if making that turn means life. I certainly don't want to miss that turn if it means God flourishing in our lives and himself being on display and himself showing, showing himself strong to us and through us. I don't want to miss that turn. You? I mean, I know some of you in here tonight. I know turns are being made as we speak. Right? That's a good thing if you're being led by the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you.
You're good to us. You're faithful to us. And we are open to you, sir, to correction, to instruction, to direction. And we commit to you to not move too quick. As great as the future is, and though it's becoming more increasingly clear all the time, help us settle in to the rhythms of your grace and to live at a Holy Spirit pace. And though we labor more abundantly than they all, let it be the grace of God that labors in us. Holy Spirit, we give you voice in our lives. Help us identify if we're moving too fast, too quick. We'll slow down. We'll change. We know, Lord, that where you're taking us is a wealthy place. According to your word, that's what you have in store for us is a wealthy place, a broad place, wide and roomy, a place that flows with milk and honey. It's got abundance and provision for everything we need. And we tune our hearts and our ears to hear the voice of wisdom. And when wisdom says turn, we'll turn. We'll change. By your grace and by your help, we will always be in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.